Think back in your life to when you were worried most, most concerned about how you'd make it, whether it was your health, your finances, a relationship, or maybe all of it all together. Sometimes it seems when it rains, it pours, right? Those thoughts, those emotion, the constant worry, the fear, the doubt, the questions, no answers. But you made it through, right? At least hopefully you made it through. Hopefully what you're in right now is not the worst part of your life. So we want to consider that sort of thing today as we take up the topic of caring for others when life turns upside down. It's the fifth in our series of sermons, an impromptu series, if you will, uh, when life turns upside down, where we considered how life turns upside down, praying when life turns upside down, worship when life turns upside down, and even overcoming anxiety when life turns upside down. So all those are available for you on our website, podcast, or Vimeo, or Facebook, if you want to go back if you missed any of them, and we'd invite you to do that. But if you haven't already, um, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37, the end of the chapter, are going to be our key verses today as we focus in on this idea of caring for others when life turns upside down. Now, we do have our Scripture Memory Verse of the Month as well. I haven't necessarily mentioned it the past few weeks, but it's a simple one, Luke 24, 8. And Luke 24, 8 remembers just five words. It's, then they remembered His words, Jesus' words. Then they remembered His words. Every time we come together at Southview Baptist Church, when we worship, we sing songs, we give our tithes and offerings, but we focus our attention on God's Word. Why is that? It's not because we worship the Bible, but it's because the Bible is the bread of life. It's the word of truth that God gives us to teach us, to encourage us, to inspire us, to guide us. And as followers of Jesus, this is our textbook. Even in the Old Testament, we see it pointing forward to Jesus. In the New Testament, we see it teaching us about Jesus. And our goal is to get beyond a barcode type transactional faith. That's all about a gospel of sin management, but a relationship with Jesus. And so here we see the first church and the first church given the name of Jesus, responding as Jesus would respond to the needs of one another. So Acts chapter four, verse 32, let me read. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that they had that any of his possession was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph A Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray together. Our Father, like every time when we read your word and we come to study your word, we pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. That these words would not just be merely words of history or words on a page, but words of truth words that lead us to be more like Jesus. So we pray, Father, that you would touch us, 
that anything we need to surrender, we'd surrender. Anything we need to commit to, we'd commit. And that we'd be filled with faith and courage as we consider caring for others in the midst of this world that is turned upside down. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, the first thing we see on your outline this morning, and hopefully you got a bulletin, you can get that through the email that would have been sent out to you. The first thing we see is their unlimited unity. That's in verse 32, the unlimited unity. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. It's interesting now that it says all the believers or the congregation of those who believed maybe in your Bible because there are now so many believers in Jesus since Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the power and the boldness with which the disciples, uh, excuse me, the apostles had proclaimed Jesus that they can't even count them anymore. So all the believers were one in heart and mind. It's talking about a comprehensive unity. That's everything. Think about what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 21. He said that we all would be one as he and the Father were one. Think about what he preached in John chapter 13, verse 35, when he said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, this passage of Scripture here in Acts chapter 4 probably reminds you a lot of what you heard at the end of Acts chapter 2. We preached that a few weeks ago, right? In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, is a summary type passage of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the effects upon that first church. And it says there in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That was what they did initially in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But here we are in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. And we have to ask ourselves the question. And this is a question that's on your outline. And that's, how can we achieve such harmony? If that's the harmony that the first believers had when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with power, how can we achieve such harmony even today amidst COVID-19 and all the anxiety and everything that's going on in our life? We'd have to ask ourselves, is it harder or is it easier because we're apart, because we're not in these pews, because we don't see each other in the flesh for Sunday school, but over a Zoom call? Well, we can still pray. We can still read our Bibles. We can still seek to be Christ-like. We can still serve others and love others and share with others and elevate others above ourselves. So I don't think it should be any harder to have harmony and to have unity. We'll have to consider that more as we move ahead with our text here. Your second major point on your outline this morning, your second major point is empowered evangelism. Empowered evangelism comes from verse 33, Acts 4.33. Note what it says in my NIV. It says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. That phrase, continued to testify, is a great translation of that because it's one of those imperfect verbs you hear me talking about in the Greek. It means action that started in the past but goes on into the future. It's continuous action, right? So the fact that they even used the word continued in there means that they had been preaching, they were preaching, and they weren't going to stop preaching. Don't you wish some of us could be that way, right? 
that even in the spite of the fact that the disciples had been forbid by the Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that had put Jesus to death or proclaimed his death, they kept preaching. Acts chapter 4 verse 20 says that they testified, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They had such a filling of the Holy Spirit and such an experience with Jesus that they couldn't help but tell others about him. And notice that it said they were testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting that if you look in the entire book of Acts, one key to every sermon of every preacher in the book of Acts is the resurrection of Jesus. Don't you think we should follow that example as well? We have our Easter pageant that we still have the set up here around me called This Day of Resurrection. And what a well-chosen title, This Day of Resurrection, because it's the resurrection of Jesus that sets apart Jesus from any other self-proclaimed or so-called God that Jesus did, in fact, uh, raise himself or was raised, excuse me, by God from the dead. Many signs and wonders took place, it says in Acts chapter 2, because of this power of the Holy Spirit that was upon them. And as it summarizes here in the end of verse 33, and much grace was upon them all. God's grace because they were witnessing to his power and what he had done in the resurrection of Jesus. So your second question on your outline is, how could we witness about Jesus as effectively? Well, we don't often see miracles taking place like were happening in that apostolic era, people being healed and things such as that. But we can still have the power of Jesus in our life, in the way we live, in our verbal witness. Now, you should live in such a way that people should be able to see that you're a believer, but you've got to give a verbal witness. I've got to ask you, however, have you ever met somebody, first time you met them, and you just knew they were a believer in Jesus? There was this guy, um, it was maybe a year or two ago, when John Mark, my youngest son, was really into cars. And one time when we were over in Omaha, he says, Daddy, can we go to the Porsche dealership? And there's a Maserati dealership right next door. I'm like, "Eh, I think we have time for that. So, you know, we rock up in my car, which, you know, is kind of a nice car, but not as fancy as the cars on that lot, mind you. And I'm kind of dressed, you know, in blue jeans and some worn out sneakers and a sweatshirt. And I'm thinking, I do not look like I belong in a Porsche dealership. And sure enough, the guys inside the Porsche dealership treated us that way. They kind of looked at us and noses went up the other way and they walked away. And John Mark and I walked around looking at cars. And and then we went next door to the Maserati dealership, which I was thinking would be even more highfalutin, right? I mean, Maserati, it's Italian. How many of those are around? And the guy in the Maserati dealership, dressed very smartly, nice new suit and everything, came up to us and immediately greeted us with such kindness and warmth. And I thought, man, you need to go tell those Porsche guys next door how they need to treat people no matter how they're dressed, right? And after a few minutes of him um, walking around and telling John Mark about the car as if John Mark was going to buy it. I mean, you know, he's 11, 12 years old at this point. John Mark's eyes were so big and he had questions for the guy and the guy had answers. John Mark walked off another way and I just said to the guy, I said, are you a believer in Jesus? He said, yeah, how could you tell? I said, there's just something about the way that you related to me and my son. I didn't tell him about the guys next door at the porch garage. I just talked to him about him, his kindness, his genuineness, his hopefulness, his dignity, and the way he treated us. Sometimes you just meet somebody and you know. 
that they're a believer in Jesus, which is amazing. And my point is that I hope that you live that way, that people look at you and say, man, that guy's just different. He must be a believer in Jesus. But to add to that, based on our scripture here, that not only did they give evidence that they were believers in Jesus, but they spoke words of truth. They spoke the gospel of Jesus as a resurrected Lord and Savior. And that God gave them much grace because of it. Maybe if we lived a little bit more like these early disciples, we might see that same sort of power as well. So our passage of Scripture started with the unity, and then it went to a empowered evangelism because they were telling people about Jesus. It says, No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Hmm. Very interesting. Now, move on to verses 34 and 35. It says, There was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he has need. It's interesting that no one claimed any possession as his own. It's like they all understood that everything belonged to God. This is the concept of stewardship we try to teach, that God owns everything and we're just stewards of it. And even when we think about tithing and talk about uh, 10% as a biblical starting point for tithing, it's not that we get 90% and God gets 10. It's God has 100% and he asks us for 10% back. But they knew that everything belonged with God. They were so filled with the Spirit that they didn't treat things as if they were their own, but they cared for the needs of others. The Bible has lots of references about that. I'll just hit a few real quick. James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 says that we should meet needs as we can. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, Give when you have the ability. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5 uh, gives an amazing example of a church giving beyond their ability to give and how they blessed others. We're the same way. We should give as God calls us to give, realizing that He owns everything and we're just a steward of it. It doesn't belong to us. And did you notice that point? It said that from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. This is really far more than sharing just their excess income. This was giving from their own need, giving in a way that was radical. Now, we've got to take a quick time out here, uh, an excursus, if you will, and mention that this is not Christian socialism. Not at all Christian socialism. How do we know? Because it was voluntary. It was wholly voluntary and sacrificial action. And it was motivated by love. There was nobody compelling them to give. There was no transfer of ownership, no transfer of control or property or production like socialism does. And then we see that I read in a minute, we'll go to again in a few minutes, Barnabas' example. It wouldn't have been such a sterling example if it had been mandatory. Then the counterexample of Ananias and Sapphira that happens in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 wouldn't have been a counterexample if it had been mandatory. And if you look throughout the book of Acts, there's still private ownership of things, but based on that private ownership, either selling that or giving a portion of that to support the needs of others. And finally, the other reason we know that this and other passages in the Bible are not Christian socialism is that there is no direct didactic command in the Word of God that says, Thou shalt give all your property to fill in the blank, the government, whoever asked for it, whatever, right? 
So even though there are ideas that would lend themselves to a socialist political view in Scripture, it's not specifically commanded in Scripture. So let's come back to our text, okay? Remember, our third point here was that they were sacrificially sharing. That was your third point on your outline, sacrificially sharing. So let's ask the third question. What can we learn from their generosity? What can we learn from their generosity? We've got to note their motivation. It was love for one another. It was motivated by the Holy Spirit. It was sacrificial, free, giving and sharing and meeting the needs of others. And we can consider how we can be changed by the love of Christ in us that we might be willing to give sacrificially to others as well. Now, your fourth point on your outline is an excellent example. That excellent example is in the last two verses there, verse 36 and verse 37, which really tells us more about the guy's name than what he did. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who was uh, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And you know Barnabas. You see him kind of paralleling Paul uh, later in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 9, then verse 11, or chapter 11 and ver- chapter 13, and so on. And so Barnabas, what did he do? Verse 37, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is meant just as that, an example to us, to say, here's how the church as a whole did these things. And you got those broad statements of there was no needy among them. And some people sold and, uh, their uh, lands and uh, property and gave it at the apostles' feet. But what it says here then is that Barnabas specifically did that. Now, I just remembered something I forgot. Forgive me. Um, That's in verse 35, that they put the money at the apostles' feet and the apostles distributed it to anyone as they have need. One interesting thing to point out to you about Southview, that if you were to ever to give money to our benevolence fund through our church, that that benevolence fund is administered by a pair of our deacons. And they have policies, but they also pray, and they're thoughtful about how to distribute those things. And so, in a way, we follow the example of the first church, that it's not just given this way or that way willy-nilly, but that members of the church give it to the church, and then representatives of the church that have been ordained by the church then make decisions based on principle how to distribute that money. So that's just a quick aside for you of how we do that at Southview. Now we need to get back to my fourth point, right? The excellent example of Barnabas. So it says that he put all that money at the apostles' feet, right? In verse 37. Our fourth question is, how freely do we give? How freely do we give? Is it easy for most of us to be more stingy or to be more generous? How freely do we give? What's natural for you versus what's supernaturally motivated that God causes you to give? That's who we are. We're giving all the time and we don't think anything of it. And other people in our family are going, oh, I wish you wouldn't have given that away. Or, you know, why'd you give them that money? We needed it for this bill. But that's just who you are. And that's amazing. Uh, Some of the rest of us might be on the other end of the spectrum. And we're kind of like, I need this for my needs. Most of us are somewhere in the middle. I've got a question for us to consider, however, and that's, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? Think about that just for a minute. Uh, And 
maybe tell the person next to you if uh, you're watching this with someone else or tell your family the greatest gift you've ever received. It may have been something like as cool as a, a trip or maybe an automobile or uh, maybe a surprise you weren't expecting or maybe just somebody that you really knew loved you at a time when you needed it. And that was the most amazing gift. You might say when I got saved because you realized that you lived a life that you are a long way away from uh, Jesus, but because his love, like Dick and Eva sang, lifted you. It's the greatest gift you've ever seen. So we've considered these four points from our passage today, but we've got to apply it. And your application is in your fifth point, and really, it, it, I just spelled it out there, right? The concluding considerations. And we've got two questions to consider there. And that first question is who... Or what empowered their incredible care for one another? When we look back at this passage of Scripture, what was it that made them so free in meeting the needs of others and caring for others? Well, rewind a little bit. If you've got your Bible with you, you look at the beginning of chapter 4. Peter and John are called before the Sanhedrin just like Jesus was, like they're put on trial. And they preach with boldness even there. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And it says that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and those that watched them were astonished because they'd been with Jesus. That's part of what's going to happen here. They had been with Jesus. Jesus made a difference in their life. Then notice when Peter and John come back, beginning in verse 23, the believer's prayer in there. That's actually the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts, beginning there in verse 24. And obviously we know lots of people prayed, and uh, who wrote this and how they wrote this uh, to amalgamate all those prayers, we don't know, but it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is what God wanted us to understand. But look at verse 31. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken did you hear that the place where they were meeting was shaken now that was a supernatural phenomenon where god reached into the normal created order of the world and he did something that is abnormal and supernatural he literally shook the building i don't know if all of jerusalem shook or just their building shook but the place was shaking it was god putting an exclamation point on their prayer and the boldness that they have and look what it says then and they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly do you see where i'm going here go back to my question who empowered their incredible care for others it was empowered because of their relationship with jesus and it was empowered because they prayed in the name of jesus with such boldness that the holy spirit then came upon them as a church so that their giving their sharing was holy spirit empowered wow hopefully in the midst of this covid thing and your life being different you've spent more time in prayer If you're like me, you're praying for people that you don't see as often and you're wondering how they're doing and you know you can call them on the phone, you know you can talk to them on your computer or tablet or iPhone through a video call or something like that, but it's just different. Maybe there's folks that you know that have compromised health and you're praying especially for them. Maybe there's folks that you know that, heaven forbid, have already lost a loved one to COVID. You're praying for them. Maybe there's folks you know that have lost a job. There's a whole lot more of them. You're praying for them. 
You may be praying with your family. You may be praying with a prayer meeting. We have a Thursday morning prayer meeting. We have a Tuesday evening prayer meeting. Uh, The Tuesday evening one is available as a Zoom call. Uh, Email me if you want details about that, or Silvana can send you that through our prayer chain. But hopefully we're praying, and as we pray, the Holy Spirit is empowering us, and we are responding in the same way with generosity to care for others when life turns upside down like this. Now, your second question there. Your second question, and the final point on your outline, ask, what can I do to care for others through COVID-19? What can I do to care for others through COVID-19? If you're like me, you're getting what's going on there, and I don't even have you know cable television at my house, so I don't watch CNN or Fox News, so I don't have all that coming in, and uh, I don't get the Lincoln Journal Star anymore, so I don't have that coming in. Uh, and so wherever you get your news, you're probably overwhelmed. And sometimes when we get overwhelmed, our tendency is just to kind of cocoon and go, oh, I don't know what I can do, so I'm not going to do anything. How can I really make a difference though, right? This scripture is teaching us that when there's a need as believers of Jesus, we should meet it freely, motivated by Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit and our prayers to change who we are so that supernaturally, beyond our natural inclination to hold on to things and be selfish, that supernaturally we are otherish and we seek to give and meet the needs of others. So how can we do that? Well, I mentioned it earlier in the announcements, and you just go to southviewbaptist.org, and right at the very top now, there's a big button that says, I can help, I need help. Now, Chris Dejabay made that happen for us. He's the tech guy that does that, and it's great that we have Chris to help us out. But on that button, we want you to click it. Click it now, or click it as soon as the sermon's over. And there's things that you say that you can do, and you can just put your name and a contact information and say, I can Go grocery shopping for others and deliver them. I can fix something around somebody's house. Um, Maybe you're somebody that's got that ability and someone else may have a need. Maybe you can sew a mask for someone. You can contact them uh, and encourage them. You can pray for others. You can give financially uh, to help others. And there's even a blank there for other. When you click other, it opens up where you might fill in some other things you can do. And that's the I can help. I hope that lots of you go in there and fill out all the ways you can help. And then there's others of you that may say, I need help. And it's absolutely the opposite of the first one. I need somebody to buy groceries for me. I need somebody to fix something around my house. I don't have a mask yet. I'm afraid if I go out in public, who can make me a mask? We got ladies in our church that would be happy. They probably have some sitting around their house already. So what we're doing here is using our technology, our website, to connect people who can help with people who need the help. How cool is that? And you're the ones that are going to go click that right now, fill that in, and we're going to begin making connections. I'm really excited to see how you respond to this sermon today, Southview, because you've heard the truth of Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37, and you know that you want to live like Jesus, and I know you want to meet the needs of others, so we're just putting a nice tool in front of you for you to be able to do that to respond to this sermon. Southviewbaptist.org. Right there on the top, I can help, I need help. So that's how we're going to ask you to respond today. But let me lead us in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you so very much that your word is truth and it's always truth. And even in the midst of the anxieties and the worries, the realities of this world that is upside down because of COVID-19, 
that we as believers in Jesus can do things to demonstrate our love and care for one another. In whatever way we can help, Father, would we be motivated to click it? And if we need help, Father, don't um, allow our pride to keep us from asking help. Let us click that too so that others can have the blessing of sharing and meeting our needs. God, we thank you that we can be together based on this technology. We thank you that you are taking care of us. We thank you that we see the curve flattening and that fewer people are getting sick and fewer people, we pray, are going to die. And we pray, Father, that these things would reverse very quickly for our nation and our world. But in the meantime, we're thankful that you are with us and by your Holy Spirit, you'll guide us. And you've given us now, even as a church, a tool in which we can offer help to one another and ask for help from one another. Help us to use that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I already told you enough uh, to go to the website and fill that out. I can help or I need help. Uh, keep in mind, you if you have children or teenagers in your house, you would have gotten the Sunday school lesson emailed to you by Myra or David. So that'll be in your inbox. If you're an adult, we'd love to have you in one of our Sunday school classes at 11 o'clock. You'll find that on our website as well. And thank you, of course, uh, for your continued faithfulness and giving to support us. We've got to tell you again, thank you for joining us today. And remember, if there's anything we can do, call the church office, 402-423-5062, or email me, Aaron at southviewbaptist.org. And of course, fill out that I can help, I need help. Thank you. God bless you.